0: All right, welcome back to another episode of Modern Manhood Cold Takes. I remember in our last cold takes, I started talking and I started saying Modern Manhood Extra. This is not Modern Manhood Extra. This is Modern Manhood Cold Takes. Uh, (laughs) Veronica told me last time that this, that I kept saying extra, but this is actually cold takes. (laughs) Uh, So my name is Veronica Jagus and my co-host is Veronica. Say hello, Veronica. Hi um and you can find me at uh Marmen Odd on twitter you can find veronica on twitter but she's in full uh, but no okay. i
1: i don't i actually like removed twitter and yeah that's
0: right you did like facebook twitter and thing.
1: instagram and tiktok from my phone so there's yeah. no more distractions even especially, TikTok. TikTok. Oh especially my God.
0: tiktok
1: yes it was such a distraction it's terrible you couldn't even exit out of it when you wanted to it would take you to another screen first with more videos going and then you can exit out of it. They know. They're
0: like, we're going to get you. You're going to try to leave and then we're not going to let you leave. Yeah, You're like, no, I just want to leave. Okay. 10 more minutes, I guess. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, So yeah. Seriously. Modern Modern Manhood is brought to you by Next Gen Men and the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown and community supported. Uh, If you want to support Next Gen Men and redefining and undefining what it means to be a man, and head on over to nextgenmen.ca. Uh, your contributions support the promotion of positive masculinities, healthy relationships, and gender equity among the next generation of men. So, head on over to nextgenmen.ca and support us however you can. You can, uh, you know, go to an MGM circle, that would be a way of supporting us. You can donate to us if you want to on our Give Magic account, just right on the right hand side, the bottom of the right hand side of that website. Or, I don't know, how else can people support us in Next Gen Mint, Veronica?
1: You can buy merch. We Absolutely. Have, oh, that's yeah. right. We have
0: an awesome merch category, actually.
1: Mm-hmm. We have, like, obviously, like, toques and our socks. We have the anti sexist Social Club t-shirt. But we also have the cards for masculinity that we created. Correct. Um, not too, too long ago, which was a super fun project. Jonathan and I had a great time coming up with the questions. Um, and basically it's a deck of 30 cards and it gives you kind of question prompts that you could use with, um, like a group of boys or an individual boy to start having conversations about, you know, healthy relationships, positive masculinities, um, and gender equity. So we talk about everything from sexism to bullying, to mental health, to everything, honestly. So it's a it's a good investment as a if you're a teacher, an educator, um, you know, a parent, a coach. Absolutely.
0: And it's and honestly not just for boys. It can be used for any type of like group situation. Uh, try it out with your friends. <laughs> we've sold so many of them uh, and we've sold them through all throughout the world. Uh, yeah. So anybody who's bought a pack of cards for masculinity, Thank you we really appreciate it and uh, also show us like what you've done with them like if you had some good conversations with them if you had like really good comments about it like what kind of questions spurred some really good um, conversational topics just send it over to us we would love to like show it on to our, our our social media feed uh, you can you can do it at next and um, the Twitter account and the Instagram account or you can just send it to me to at modern um, I'll send it over to next man, as well too. again, I would love to see them. I think they'll be really cool. All right, Veronica, mm-hmm. we are recording on August 1st. So mm-hmm. this won't come out till August 2nd, but this means today is the first day in Edmonton uh, and in Calgary too I think uh, that masks are mandatory. In indoor places in Edmonton and in Calgary, all public and private areas need to have masks indoor. What do you think about this?
1: I mean, it makes sense. Like, I have to say, like, early on, I think the information we were getting was a little bit confusing. at first. You were saying, like you know don't wear masks because it's gives you like a false sense of security and we can't actually show that it does anything at this point and whatever so i was like okay like not wearing masks i guess and then like after that it was like no this is changing and now it's like recommended but like not outdoor i don't know there was like there was a little bit of confusion to start out, out with but now i'm just like okay yeah masks mandatory they work okay makes sense let's do it <laughs> yeah so i got um I had gotten a few handmade ones for my grandmother, which was so sweet, but I got a couple that like fit a little bit tighter to my face now too. Mm -hmm. And I got one for Kyle too. So, you know, going to get groceries and stuff we're like, yeah, this makes sense. And I'm always like, do you remember the reusable grocery bags? Do you remember the mask? Like (laughs) doing like a checklist before we, before we go. So yeah, it's uh, it's different, but makes sense.
0: It is. And I think that like one of the, I think (laughs) one of the, uh, I think one of the worst things that the like, World Health Organization did was that to say that people shouldn't be wearing masks and then all of a sudden go back and be like people should be wearing masks and it was a little bit of confusion with that and and I think and they get the started was because the medical masks were so in low low uh, supply that they needed to be for the doctors and the frontline workers uh, yeah. but people were making like handmade masks they were making like cloth masks and uh, you know there was kind of like this like other economy for masks which is really interesting I saw like a lot of people like selling buy masks and uh yeah I bought my I bought a mask myself and I bought a couple more masks because I thought I lost that mask and so I have about two more masks and I found it anyways I have three masks is what I'm trying to say um but even then there has been kind of this push back uh for wearing masks and I think it's mostly started in the U.S. and I think that there's kind of like this idea of of liberty over everything in the U.S., and I think you know that yeah. has a long history of, like, uh, in regards to their independence movement and the Civil War and whatnot. Uh, but at the same time, that there is a big culture of freedom over everything, uh, and this includes mass. But you know, like, there's always like a little bit of hypocrisy around that. Um, so, what does this have to do with gender? As this podcast is usually about um, <laughs> so there i i saw this article on the guardian um and it mentioned about it's 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 a headline is the data is in men are too fragile to wear COVID 19 masks <laughs> Grow up, guys, was the other part of the headline, which is like really funny. Uh, uh, Priya Allen, uh, he's the one who wrote it. Uh, So it mentioned that um, men are less, you know, they they appeal less to wearing masks in general. And I think it came from uh, research from Cambridge University. Uh, which I want to pull up this research because uh, right, I don't have the actual like stats on it too. But I think it's this was more of like a an opinion piece. Uh, and this also kind of like like touched upon the whole idea of, you know, how Trump didn't want to wear a mask. And like then it became such a, a thing to be like saying, oh, you know, uh, only like women wear masks and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. You saw the research, right? Did you actually get a chance to read it? No,
1: not yet. But I did read the articles and I watched that uh, that awesome video as well. Yeah, from said. Liz Plank? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess like, it was interesting because as I was reading this article, I read this first and then I watched Liz's uh, video. And like before I watched Liz's video, I was like, wouldn't it be nice if we could like kind of change up the that narrative around mask wearing for men and then that's exactly what she talked about in her video so oh liz we're on the same page (laughs) because it's true like it was it's apparently the the norm of toughness is what a lot of men are kind of like thinking about when they're choosing not to wear masks it's like well i don't need this like i'm tough and it's like okay cool but like it's not really about just you um in the same way that when, you know, you decide to ride your bike and not wear a helmet, okay, that's really just putting you at risk, right? So I guess you can make that choice, I suppose. Um, but then it's like the mask, it's really, it's, it's to protect you, but it's to protect everyone else. Right. So <clears throat> so yeah, the the reframe that I was thinking of is if, if we we're constantly thinking like, okay, men are tough, they're strong, they're independent, they're protectors, they're providers, they're this and that. Okay, if you're a protector, then why aren't you protecting other people?
0: Um, yeah.
1: So it was funny that I thought about that. And then I watched Liz's video and I was like, oh, yeah, someone else is thinking of the same thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, okay, so I'm reading the research. And um, at the end, here's the discussion. Where, this is what um, I'm just going to list the, the actual research. It's called Toxic Mask. Get it? Masculinity. Um <laughs> the link between masculine toughness and effective reactions to mask wearing in the COVID-19 era. At the end, it says, basically, broadly, we find that men and women who embrace masculine norms of toughness, aka toxic masculinity or heterogromotic masculinity, are equally likely to feel negative effective responses towards the idea of wearing masks, even after accounting for other predictors, such as partisanship and ideology. Additionally, while toughness also predicts positive attitudes towards mask wearing for men and women, the negative effect is larger for men. So basically, it's 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 saying what you're saying in regards to, I think it's trying to like incorporate an idea of what toughness means. Um, and like we talked about before, uh, that toughness means in different things for different people, in different places, in different times, frames. Uh, at the same time, though, like it's interesting at the end here where it says, while toughness also predicts positive attitudes towards mask wearing for men and women like oh i'm tough because i am wearing a mask uh then it usually the uh, people who have this ideas of like hegemonic masculinity or this ideas of toughness uh that were predicated from you know ideals of what traditionally masculinity is becomes more of a negative effect it's like i'm not wearing a mask no one's forcing me to wearing a mask uh masks look silly and they look terrible i'm not doing it and i'm healthy I don't need to think about this. Uh, it's kind of looks along like the climate change conversation too. <laughs> like the, like it's like, I don't see it. Therefore it doesn't affect me kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, it's really interesting to to kind of um, think about this idea of toughness in regards to mask wearing. And some people think that it's like, oh, it's like, you think about like cowboys, like they, they sometimes wear masks like superheroes wear masks and they're like, well, that's different. And I don't know. It's, it's an interesting correlation that we're, that it's garnering in regards specifically to mass.
1: Yeah. And actually <clears throat> it's funny that you mentioned climate change too, because again, it's like something like a virus and something right. like climate change. They're both those like super, or what do they call it? Hyper objects, right? Hyper They're, objects. they're yeah. too big for us to see. So a lot, there's a, there. it's just so easy to have like misinformation and like denial and like, um, you know, myths um, about whether or not they exist, and like you know, too much too much space for people to question. I guess. Or there are, um, yeah, there
0: are definitely myths about that. Now.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so I'm thinking like, it's funny that those those two things end up you know having um, so much pushback, and then in the form of, well, if you're wearing this thing, this mask, it shows that you have chosen a side in the debate about this hyper object, right? About this virus. It's the same thing with when we saw, um, do you remember that study that was like men are less likely to use reusable grocery bags yeah. at the store? Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, same thing. You're showing the world visibly that you've you've taken into consideration some of the arguments about this hyper object, which in the case of the grocery bags is climate change. And you're showing the world that you, you're doing that, right? It's like, it's like, you're tipping your hand, right? People can now see your cards. they can associate certain beliefs with you, and some men are like, "Oh, I don't want to do that and I think, yeah. I think that's very interesting um
0: yeah, and unfortunate and it's interesting, it's also that it this is kind of like a bipartisan thing if what it shows from this research is yeah. that like regardless of how you feel about being progressive or being um liberal or you being conservative or whatever it is um that there's only a small amount of partisanship in regards to this. It's all mostly about uh, masculinity and ideology. Uh, so the effects of what, what you believe in in masculinity have this idea of either positive or negative reaction on wearing a mask. So uh, it's, it's really fascinating to me about how, how much like, ideas of, of masculinity really affect um even things like health right like oh, like and I know time. we've talked about this like totally before uh but at the same time it's it's just fascinating to me that this research actually kind of like really really shows that like oh okay masculinity as a as a, as a construct as an actual system itself really affects the way um people do things you know what I mean like just in just the way people think about and do other um things to try to help others in humanity in general, yeah. even in just community, yeah. community, right? Well, it's
1: caring. Caring's feminized, right? Yeah. Can't show that. But um, yeah, relating to masculinity and health, the thing I was looking for earlier was this quote from, uh, it's from a study in 2000. So it's not like this is something we haven't known for a long time, but yeah. uh, by this re- researcher named uh, Will Courtney. And he, he said, Uh, By dismissing their healthcare needs, men are constructing gender. When a man brags, uh, I haven't been to a doctor in years, he is simultaneously describing a health practice and situating himself in a masculine arena. Similarly, men are demonstrating dominant norms of masculinity when they refuse to take sick leave from work, when they Mm -hmm. insist that they need little sleep, and when they boast that drinking does not impair their driving. Men also construct masculinities by embracing risk. Uh, a man may define the degree of his masculinity for example by driving dangerously or performing risky sports and displaying these behaviors like badges of honor
0: mm-hmm. in these
1: ways masculinities are defined against positive health behaviors and beliefs
0: yeah so the risk-taking part of it right like this is very much like and also like it's interesting because I think this will relate to the conversation that we'll have later on about how um, you know the idea is oh God, I'm not gonna take a sick day I, I'm the I'm the I'm the guy that's not going to go to the doctor uh, because I'm going to work and work until I die kind of thing <laughs> uh, that relates to the work conversation that we'll have a little bit later. Uh, at the same time, it's, it's, I, yeah, I, I really find it fascinating how like this idea of liberty is such a, I wouldn't say toxic masculinity thing Cause I think like a lot of people really like this idea of liberty, but this extreme libertarianism is a very like masculine form of being like, like the, basically the F you, you're not going to tell me what to do kind of thing. Like, like, I'm mm-hmm. like no health authority is going to tell me exactly how to live my life. Uh, and I think that's the argument that they would give they are like, and I think that there's just kind of like that, that mistrust of the government in general. Uh, Definitely. Which to be honest, like they have a good, um, cause for it, right? Like the government has screwed a lot of people over in many different ways, and so i I don't blame people for mistrusting the government. Uh, at the same time, this whole like libertarian bent being like like don't tell me what to do. you know that shows up mostly with men, but it also shows up in different different places as well, right? Like um, I made this argument about the seatbelt. like there's this mm, before yeah. when when seatbelts were first invented, were first like mandated to be on cars. Like, people didn't wear them. They're just out of spite, just being like, no one's telling me what to do to wear. Like, i would being safe this whole time. Like, I don't get it. Why would we need to wear seatbelts? But no, after time, people just kind of adjusted, right? <laughs> They're just like, okay, now wearing a seatbelt yeah. is smart and doing it, right? Yep. Uh, it's the same thing with smoking, too. Like, the smoking thing was like, no, like, I'm putting this into my own body, blah, blah, blah. But now you, culture change and realize that smoking has gone down and, like, smoking's not cool.
1: At least here. Yeah. Um, but that's like, true. no, and I think there was there was more of a, a general like shift, especially in understanding how smoking would impact the people around you as well. Yeah, um, exactly. And that's why we were like, hey, we're not going to smoke in indoor places anymore because you can choose to smoke. And like, mm. that's something you are. Technically, yes. Like doing to your own body, but if you're smoking in an indoor space, you're doing it to everyone else too, because um, yeah. they're all smoking with you if yeah. you're smoking in an indoor place. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, I. I think again, it's easier to see, and the, the data is there. And I think, I don't know, maybe that also emerged in an era where we actually like trusted science a little bit more. It seems like there's a huge anti-like science. Thing right now. It's
0: worrisome. People are like, I don't know. I have to look into that. I wonder if that was always the case. And I wonder if, like, I wonder if it's just because we see it more often that that's the idea. Like, I don't um, know, man. People believe that
1: the earth is flat right now, like a sizable number
0: of Uh, people. I'll have to talk to Kim, Timothy Caulfield about that. Maybe we'll invite him on the podcast and, and let him ask, I'll ask him that question. I,
1: honestly, yeah, I do, I do think like anti-intellectual and like anti-science stuff is like more prominent now, but maybe you're right. Maybe we just see it more with social media and maybe there's always been a huge undercurrent of that. But no, I think it's I think it's pretty current.
0: I think it's Could be. more. I think you're new. right. Mm-hmm. I think that's, a, it, it is definitely, like I think it, it. it is, I think it stems from this idea of mistrust And that I think that like, like people have screwed. And I think that like, I don't, there is some, yeah. Like I get why this sounds stupid, especially for things like anti-vaxxers. Right. Um, uh, At the same time though, like when you see reports saying that like, oh, you know, so and so have used specific chemicals to like, 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 to put into vaccines that have been used for plants. And then you're like, that's really screwed up the plants. Or, you know, like we used to think that mercury was fine and it's not. And (laughs) like, um, so it's, I get, I get, I get it. Like I get why people have mistrusted uh, authority figures. And I think, I think what I see with this anti-science sentiment, I think has a lot to do with like mistrust of authority, mistrust of like people that we really thought were on our side we're starting to see that there really aren't on our side um or that's
1: just how science fucking works like we do the best that we can with the knowledge that we have at the time and And i think that's also new knowledge we have to adjust which is exactly what happened with the mask thing at first they were like oh we're not sure if it really works guys hold your horses and then they were like oh it really does work can't get your masks and people are confused but like that is also how science works we we are updating our knowledge constantly so of course it's going to change like yeah I and know. i think that
0: like, and i think that's fine and i think that's like i i think maybe that's the idea maybe it's like the reframing of what science is right it's like the reframing of like 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 we don't need to have like the answers right away but at the same time we're recommending and i we would hope that our government officials and our government bureaucrats to say like to be able to communicate that to our public to say like, okay, things can change at a very quick instant and we're following what science tells us to do. Um, Cause I think that's what, I think that was the issue with a lot of people with specifically with COVID is just like, like there isn't, there's this kind of like, okay, you tell us that we don't wear masks and now you're telling us to wear a mask and now you're mandating masks. Like I get why people are kind of like confused. Uh, at the same time, though, like, I'm willing to be like, okay, yeah, no, like, I get, like, things can change. And this is a brand new virus. Nobody really knows much about it. We're still, like, in the developing process of trying to figure out. We still don't know what the long-term effects are. We don't know a lot of things. Um, we don't know, like, the, the effects of youth and the effects of kids. And we're going to, like, it, so it's really, everything is, like, evolving. Um, yeah, but the earth is flat, people. <laughs> <laughs> like like there's a balance of evidence that that the earth isn't flat uh i i don't know i think that there's a lot of.
1: Flat. but it's also a hyper object and you can't see it like
0: Until people you go living,
1: <laughs> yeah exactly people <laughs> living on the earth cannot see it and so it becomes one of those things that's easier to um contest right and then I mean, no. There's a great documentary actually on Netflix about flat Earth. Was
0: Um, it behind the curb? Behind the? Is that what it's called? I don't
1: know. I don't remember what it was called. I remember watching it. It
0: was really interesting.
1: (laughs) But it is really interesting. It's mostly like, I think it's it's interesting to think about the fact that most people who are drawn to conspiracy theories, it's not really about the theory itself, but more about like um, kind of that wish, that desire to be like different and to have like a Mm -hmm. view that only a minority Mm -hmm. of people might have. Um, So. Um, you know, sort of feeling like you're in your own exclusive club where you know more than, than other folks. And but you're the I, rebel, I,
0: right? Yeah.
1: Right. And like, I can see how that could be appealing, especially f- for people who've been like, kind of pushed out of other places their whole life. And then right. they find like a group, like, it's really more about group acceptance than it is about particular ideologies. So, yeah. Um, so I think there has to be a considerable dose of empathy when it comes to Things that were like, well, that's that's an interesting belief, but there ha- there really has to be a lot of empathy, or else you're pushing people further into something. I agree. And it's hard. It's hard. It is. Things like it is tough. I have really big feelings about anti-vaccine stuff because yeah. I'm like, no, like these are kids, and not mm-hmm. like, fuck's sake, you know? Mm-hmm. But but I, I had that. to really like, um I really had to check myself when it came to the work that I did with families um, when I was a family outreach worker at the Terra Center because you are hundred percent not going to sit there and just try to spew facts at somebody to get them to change their mind. Uh, That's going to make them feel like you're either like attacking them Mm -hmm. or that they're stupid. Right. Or that they don't Mm -hmm. know anything. Um, And they're not going to respond well to that. So it's, you really need like a reframe of how you approach things. It has to be a lot more like curiosity and just like, okay, like tell me about this and why, um, you know, like, you why you believe this like i'm curious like and really approaching things without
0: judgment there's definitely a deep a deep-rooted like why is this happening that that can be uh understood and empathized with and actually being able to like like yeah like the flatter thing for example the flatter thing might not be the actual issue with some for some people it may be something a little bit more maybe something a little bit more maybe it is this idea of like I want to be uh, the rebel or maybe there's this idea of mistrust. And maybe there's this idea of like, like, you know what? Like the government has told me this many things and maybe it's just like, Oh, you know, the teachers have told me this many things. And I remember one teacher told me this thing and I, and he fucked me over. Um, therefore, this is why, like it, there's a whole different gamut of different ideas that may behind that actual issue. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it, it's tough it's tough for me with the masks and it's tough for me for the anti-vaxxers for sure because you are like it is you're putting other people at risk exactly yeah and it's the same thing with and the like if
1: thing. you want to believe the earth is flat you're not hurting anyone exactly like that's why i'm just say. like
0: eh, you know fine <laughs> do experiments i don't care like go for it like that's fine but you, the last thing and the smoke even the smoking thing too i'm just like you're hurting other people and it's that's that's the tough thing and i think that's why people kind of react to it and I, yeah. And
1: that's why we freak out, right? Like, especially, yeah. yeah, when we hear things about anti-vaccine, you're like, okay, so you're putting children's lives at risk. That's not acceptable, right? Like, there's yeah. there's certain thresholds that we have decided collectively. We're like, no. <laughs> and, but totally. you still have to, it's hard because you still have to be like, okay, like, uh, I'm either going to like, we're going to mandate this. We're going to take like a hard line, which I think mm-hmm. some places have done, right? They've said no children can attend you know, school until they've had their vaccines up to date. No children can attend like daycares and things like that. So they're putting a hard line, which I think is probably what you need to do, right? In a case where you're saving lives, Mm -hmm. but it's like, you're not necessarily changing minds of those parents. So I don't know. That has to be done in a different way, I think. It's it's hard. Especially hard with social media that doesn't block the stupid hashtags and stuff. (laughs) Uh, Like block the hashtags. No one needs to see that
0: misinformation. This episode of Mar Manhood is brought to you by World on Fire, a new podcast from CBC Edmonton. World on Fire is a new five-part series that takes you to the front lines of -of out-of-control wildfires in Canada, Australia, and California. Recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, hosts Adrian Lamb and Mike Flanagan look at what it takes to find hope in the midst of fear and destruction and how communities affected by wildfires rebuild series examines the high cost that wildfires cause to people's health, homes, and communities. And you can find World on Fire at CBC Listen app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, you can probably find World on Fire on CBC. Uh, Or you can find it online at cbc.ca slash worldonfire. And you're right, Veronica, we haven't really had much wildfires that I've noticed. Hopefully that there's, (laughs) that we haven't, Like, I I know there's wildfires going on, but, and I know that's like a big, big, like, task for people. Uh, So I think this would be really interesting to find out what's going on in the world of, like, wildfires. It is a very, like, Albertan thing for sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel
1: like this year was maybe a better year than previous ones. So that's
0: promising. Props to people who are fighting fighting the wildfires. (laughs) Um, And today I wanted to tell you about ATV podcast the future of so join todd hirsch ATV's vice president and chief economist as he connects with special guests who offer unique and useful perspectives about the future i love the future i think that's that's a really interesting topic um explore how our our economy and communities can not only brace for change but embrace the opportunity it creates from the future of women in business and the changing nature of work itself. We're going to have that conversation too. The future of helps us understand what's coming and what we need to do today to get the tomorrow that we want. Featuring two episodes each month plus bonus episodes. The future of includes interviews from top community and business leaders from Alberta and around the world. Subscribe to the future of in Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify and everywhere podcasts are found and connect ask your questions about the future you can email them to the future of at atb.com so the d t e e t h e future of of at atb.com So in our next next gen men circles, we've had a really good like uh, slate of uh, conversations going on in next gen men in regards to uh, you know ever since the pandemic hit, we've been doing these next gen men circles online, uh, throughout people in the nation in Canada um, and some in the U.S. I think. Have we, have we ever had like mm-hmm. U.S. participants? Yep. Yeah. Perfect. We have ever, like other people from around the world?
1: Uh to the anti-sexist social club event last week oh, nice. we did. We had someone join us from Germany, which
0: was that's, dope. That's, awesome. that's yeah, awesome. so there you go. International conversation. Uh, and we had some really awesome conversations about um, you know, mental health. We're gonna have one. We're gonna have uh we've had some about sports and we've had some about just body
1: image.
0: Body image, which um, is really parenting. cool. Yeah. yeah. Um and so the new one that we're going to have um, pretty soon in August is we're going to have one about uh, masculinity and capitalism, um, which is something yes. that's a really important conversation I think that, that we really need to have, especially during these times of economic strife that we've been facing, uh, probably ever since the 2008 economic collapse. Um, and also just in general, this generation has been facing a lot of economic problems, Uh, but I don't, we didn't want to talk specifically all about capitalism today. I, we really just want to nail down one specific topic. Um, and -hmm. Veronica, you mentioned that this is something that you wanted to talk about specifically. Uh, you want to talk about universal basic income.
1: Yeah. Um, so in my current course right now, it's, um, social policy, um, which I'm really loving. I, I really do. Yeah. And I love my textbook. It's, um, Like, quite obvious how the authors feel about (laughs) certain things. I love it. It's like they rip on Harper. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. I love it. I love it so much. Um, Like, and honestly, like, if you're not pissing some people off, then you're not doing something important, is kind of what it feels like. Because I know the author she came to do, she came to do a, a guest lecture for one of our classes, and I know she was saying, like, you know, some people weren't very happy about this textbook. They thought it was like far too political, and like they didn't think that's what social workers should be. And she was like, "Well, I disagree." <laughs> and so, oh, yeah, I totally um, that. That's a that's a really yeah, good
0: she, that's a really good comment.
1: Yeah, she was like, "I think that it should be, you know, political because we're talking about social justice. That's what social workers are supposed to be about. It's one of our it's one of our core." you know, principles in our code of ethics. So if you mm-hmm. can't talk about social justice, how the fuck are you supposed to enact it? You know, yeah. so, um, sorry, that, can- that sounded a lot more angry than I am. But-
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you it's- know Veronica very well, she'll throw in some F-bombs every now and again. They just come it's out as as, as as cute surprises, which I really love, so.
1: <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad that you appreciate my potty mouth. I know it's probably not <laughs> the best in certain scenarios, so I try to try to chill but um but honestly like yeah I, I love this book i love this course and um for uh, my final paper i'm writing it on universal basic income so because mm-hmm. i've been thinking about it so much um and you know reading up on it i thought i should share uh some of my um reflections with everyone because i yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to think about. I think it's more on people's radar now, especially yeah. considering COVID and, uh, you know, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit and kind of we've seen that that can have some great benefits, um, you know, so why not make it potentially permanent? So, yeah, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll dive into it.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I um, And it's interesting, too, because I've been reading this book and I put it on our notes as well, too. It's called Four Futures. Um, it's basically, like... Uh, a book about utopias and dystopias, and about like how what life um, after capitalism <laughs> would look like. That's what's called life after capitalism. Um, and they talk a lot about universal basic income and how that might affect in a in, you know generations, generations, generations later. Like what would actually uh, work and labor look like with a universal universal basic income in place? And it's really fascinating to think about. And like stretching the whole basis of universal basic income, not just like in 2020, but just like hundreds of years down the future, and what would it look like? You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. So what yeah, the, cool.
0: What did you? Uh, anything interesting that you found?
1: Yeah. So I mean, I guess I can talk first a little bit about my kind of my feelings coming into the conversation about universal basic income because Mm -hmm. like I've probably talked about before. Um, like, I think I just talked about it earlier. I used to work with young families Mm -hmm. as a family support worker. So, um, Like, admittedly, I didn't know much about our current income support system until I started working with young families. And then it takes you one visit to Alberta Works Income Support to understand that it's not intended to be a friendly, welcoming kind of space. It's very dehumanizing. It's humiliating. And I think that that is by design. Um, so like, you know, from the morning lineups where applicants are told to, you know, take a number and then their number's called. And then, you know, as soon as they're talking to a caseworker, it's put in your SIN number, you know, you're not even asked your name. Like, it's very much like a, right. it's a very dehumanizing process. Um, and like, I don't envy the role of the workers because they've also been like, wildly like under-resourced to the point where it used to be that, um, like an income support worker had like a caseload and, you know, they would have their specific clients that they would see, but then it got to the point where there were so many clients per worker that they couldn't even have like a caseload, um, like kind of system anymore. It just didn't Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. And like, that is the point, the point that they reached was like 600 clients per worker. And I was like, that's unbelievable. That's a lot. That's That's way too much. That's unbelievable. I couldn't like, like, how could you keep up with that? So obviously like they had to, you know, change things around, but it's just like all that they have the power to do in so many cases is like try to like put out little fires, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because it's always, everyone is in a state of turmoil at all times. And like the policy is really, you know, they put it right there in the policy. You're expected to work. That's what Mm -hmm. it is. Right. So um so that's the thing it's like people are policed kind of like well you know you didn't you didn't go to the job program that we referred you to and so now you're being cut off from income support and it's like why why do we do this like why do we put people's lives at stake you know they're they could lose their housing without income so but we're like no you didn't go to a job program so now you're not worthy of like a roof over your head like it's pretty wild to me like the way that we have this system set up um it's Honestly, it's awful. Um, It's awful for the workers. It's awful for the people who have to, you know, access the system. It's just terrible. Um, And there's so many issues with policy. And like, I definitely feel for the workers as well, because they're not encouraged to speak out. They're not encouraged to say, like, listen, this policy sucks. Like, it's not helping people or it's creating, you know, huge barriers for people. Like, why Why is it this way? They're not encouraged to do that at all. Um, because I was one of those workers, too, when I moved into a role where I was mm-hmm. working as an assessor and a case manager for uh, learner income support benefits, which are intended for people who want to finish high school. And I really worked with the youth, or, like, the youth side of it. So, like, people under the age of 19 who wanted to finish high school, and yet we made them jump through a ton of hoops, too. And it was, like, it was so stupid. I, like, couldn't even, ugh, like... I yeah and I hate it I hate it so much it really isn't set up to work well for like emergencies um it's not set up it's set up with like really sexist things still in place so like if you know a young woman came to me who wanted to get um learner benefit income support so that she could go back to school and upgrade her high school but she needed like any, you know an income to like pay her rent and things like that because she couldn't live at home for whatever reason um but if she was living with a male partner she would be you know, she would not qualify because it's expected that her male partner would be providing for her, which puts her in a situation of dependence on him. And it's just like, it's so archaic and patriarchal and weird. And just like, why are we doing this? Um, you know, yeah, I just, it's, it's not a great system at all. Um, so, and like people have found, um, I was looking at this one study, which is, um, one of the very few studies we have that that looks at the benefits of like a universal basic income in Canada. Because you remember there was that pilot program in Ontario? Yes. Yeah, which I was cut remember, short yeah. by the Ford government, even mm-hmm. though they promised that they would keep it. Um, <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Uh, the okay so these researchers did this um just a, a qualitative study with the participants some of the participants of this universal basic income program that was running in ontario for a while in 2017 and it was like it was amazing to see the benefits that could happen when people are given like you know enough and it was no longer conditional um yeah. the benefits were insane like and the people talked about feeling human again yeah um and, like, like I honestly, like, I don't usually cry when I read academic studies, but I, like, hmm. cried because some of the quotes from people, like, people saying, like, I was able to buy my first ever winter coat myself. First wow. ever in my life winter coat for myself. I was like, why? Why wow. can't this just be a thing for people? Yeah, no kidding, eh? Like, unbelievable. I, yeah, I was, anyway, I was very sad. But, um, but it's a really powerful, I think, study. Um, and yeah, and they, they talked to you about some of the holes in the system. They talked about um, how like it really keeps people in poverty when they they aren't even receiving enough to be able to save. Like some, so people talked mm-hmm. about the benefits of the, this universal basic income being like I can actually plan for the future financially for the first time in my life as well. Yeah. Think, so to get people out of a space where they're constantly worried. And like living paycheck to paycheck and not even paycheck to paycheck because what people get on income support in Alberta is not enough to live.
0: I really appreciate that you mentioned that the humanistic aspect of it too, because I think that a lot of times when we think about universal basic, basic income, it comes from like an economic standpoint, an economic viewpoint, right? And it's like, well, how does this hurt the economy? How does this hurt? How much money is this going to cost? And so on and so forth. But <laughs> sometimes I think we think about these things too much about, in a way through economy, like I remember when I was, when I first did my presentations about like gender-based violence, for example, and I mentioned how much it would save the state if we started looking at preventative measures of like around Mm -hmm. um, toxic masculinity specifically um, and throughout the the community and how much it would save. And it would be like billions of dollars, right? Because then- Uh, but at the same time, like <laughs> it really doesn't matter if it's sa- it could save nothing. It could cost more money. But the whole idea of like this humanistic aspect is important, right? Like I think that like having somebody like do, like what is the point of having uh, a fruitful economy if our if the people in that economy are suffering, right? Like like I, I that part doesn't make sense to me. Like, um, mm-hmm. and so it's always important for me to think about like how. Uh, we can think about this through a humanistic lens. Um, And I love this mention of that you mentioned that you're like, you know, people are finally thinking that they have money to save. And I think a lot of Canadians um, and a lot of Americans and people throughout the world, like don't have money to save. And I think that's when we get to a point in, uh, in our lives where people just cannot work to live, like, what are those people going to be doing? Like our system as well, like our actual, like healthcare system is going to uh, be way overburdened by people. And this is happening right now with like the baby boomers, like they're becoming old and they some some of them cannot support themselves anymore. Um, so it's that whole aspect of like, wow, like getting to buy a winter jacket that you really sorely need is really important. Um Yeah. yeah. And have you seen like sorry, you mentioned the the things in Ontario, right? Like the like the actual um sorry, the pilot project that happened in Ontario. Yeah. Um have you they have you ever heard about like as I know that maybe in your research about like what's going on in Alaska, this permanent fund dividend?
1: I um, haven't. Um, I'm assuming because I was really trying to focus on Canada. Yeah, that's the- fair. The stuff that i was looking for but uh in 1974 there was actually a pilot program in manitoba as well okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and though it was canceled early of course mm-hmm. just That's, like yeah. the one in ontario was <laughs> um the research results showed increased health benefits right so less hospital visits less accidents less injuries increased high school completion rates and decreased mental health issues mm-hmm. and very little decline in labor force participation
0: yeah and so, that's the thing too right yeah. i think that like i think a lot of and this is happening with the SERF too right like the like the canadian emergency fund um that they think like and, and this is the, the rhetoric that comes from a lot of politicians is that um a lot of other people too is that if we start giving out more SERF, like people will be disincentivized to work and i think that's like the weirdest position to have because i think people do want to work people do it's not that they don't want to work for a company is they, they want to feel like they are providing something to their community and to their environment. They want to feel like they are needed and wanted and they're providing something that is, that they have that they can provide to the world. I think that is a lot of part of fulfillment that we talked about this before uh, in regards yeah. to like masculinity and like in regards to fulfillment, uh, what makes what makes men happy? Uh, at the same time, though, like universal basic income is something that will provide that kind of that kind of freedom to say, like, well, let me do something that I really want to be able to do. Like, mm-hmm. why can't somebody um, who is, for example, like an artist, like, um, would not just be paid the same, but like be valued the same way that um, I don't know, like a CEO of a social media company? Do you know what I mean? Like. Like, mm-hmm. they both provide some sort of value. I mean, depending on what your thoughts about CEOs are, but at the same time, like, like if, say, for example, these people were considered just as valuable in society, then you would start to see more, art, more people wanting to become artists and more people wanting to become yeah. um, things that are, quote-unquote, don't pay as much uh, because they right. don't have to have this worry of, like, I need to provide for my family because you know what you are being already provided for. You don't have to worry about that part. You can have a roof over your head. You can have the clothes on your body. Like you can have a bed to sleep in and food to, to eat and not have to worry about having, Oh, I need to like, I can't be an artist because that doesn't pay well. Um, so I need okay. to do this or I need to use my artistry to create capital. Like it's okay. like that that always bugs me about that kind of idea of like, oh, people are not going to work if they're gonna be paid money. I'm like, that's a problem with you. That's a that's more of a problem with with the actual industry itself that doesn't pay people enough <laughs> to, to have a living wage. The oh, more so than the people say, right?
1: Yeah. Like exactly. I I know that People are like, oh, no, what are we going to do if people don't want to work in these factories for these terrible wages? I'm like, well, are you even making something that's meaningful then? Right?
0: Exactly do you're even right. you need it?
1: Like, I'm sorry, I don't know. Like, I think that um, universal basic income would be good for individual people, but it'd be good for society and it'd also Absolutely. be good for the planet. Because Absolutely. like, if we didn't have this pressure to be earning an income, no matter how shitty the job was, I think that a lot of industries that we really honestly that aren't very important might actually die and that's probably a good thing That's like, probably we a good produce thing. a lot of shit that we don't need and yep. if people were not like if they didn't need to work in those factories to make that shit maybe we just wouldn't have it you know i don't know it's
0: just things i'm thinking about as no, absolutely. I'm i totally it. agree and it's and it's interesting because it's like They're like, well, then who's going to want to be like a garbage man or something like that? I'm like, I bet you you're going to find people that want to do that because they'll want to like, like, for example, like people will garden by themselves. Like, because they find that kind of like a, like a fulfilling and reaffirming activity. They want to see something good happening around them. They want to see flowers bloom up. Like people will volunteer to do these kind of jobs because they want to see their life look better. Like they'll want to be able to pick up garbage because they they want to see their that idea of the where they live look good and if we pay them enough or if we have this idea that we will pay everybody a living wage regardless of what they do um then a lot of these ideas of of work just kind of like 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 fizzle out and this, and that was the same thought that <clears throat> excuse me the book that I was reading just kind of relates to it is how the shift in what work is thinking of as important will completely like flatline. We'll completely like, we will start thinking about more about how, you know, like specific jobs wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't care about them anymore. Um, And also we would start thinking about ideas of automation and how automation will like, okay, well let's like, if nobody wants to be a garbage man, then we need to like create something that will pick up garbage. (laughs) And- and work throughout that you know like it's it's there's going to be a whole lot of an idea of how society will shift to make people's lives be and fulfilled and wouldn't that be awesome that no one would be homeless anymore like that would be such an amazing oh amazing thought right like and then yes. no one would go hungry like that to me is like why wouldn't we go after that right like what wouldn't we Uh, tell me the downsides
1: please yeah like why
0: wouldn't that be a goal like and it's and it drives me nuts to to think about when people think about universal basic income as this economic thing um, and which has so many different benefits and I'm glad I mean it it is
1: an economic thing in that people can now participate everybody can now participate in your economy if you want people to be able to be consumers they have to have the ability to do that right so I'm like why like they're they're for a while there, there was definitely support, you know, from some people who were like libert- libertarians, being like, "Okay, you know what? Like, this actually gives people more choices, more freedom absolutely. to choose, absolutely, because now absolutely. they and now they can be like full participants in the economy." I'm like, "Will you look at that? It's good for everyone."
0: <laughs> yeah, and it, and it and it obviously drives competition as well too, because you're like, all of a sudden, people have the the money and the the wage to buy different things that they need, and all of a sudden, you're like, "Wow, okay." I don't have to buy this shitty-ass phone because it's the only thing that I can afford. Like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like, Apple and Samsung, for example, just thinking of phones, um, like, would have to, like, step up their game to say, like, okay, we have to make a phone that's good because everybody has now the choice to buy either a Samsung or an Apple. Like, like they, there has to be something better. Like, the, not only does modernization will increase, um, you know, like, status of life will increase, too. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, and, and also, like, again... Like, I love this idea that um, that you know people like Bernie Sanders and um, AOC and like uh, everyone else in the U.S. that's like pushing towards this idea of like universality. Like, like programs work when it's universal. Like, and I think I've like, been I mean, reading a lot about universal basic income. Like, what are the like the critiques of it? And some people are saying, well, you know, this will go to everybody, but it won't go, like the um, like really the people who need it are like people who are homeless and people who need hunger, but this will go to everybody. And I'm like, that's not a bad thing. Like, like if a CEO who makes to like hundred thousand dollars gets extra little money, but also like this other person gets like extra bit of money, then why not? That's not a big, that's not an issue to me. Like that, that to me is this, I, I love this idea of universality. I love this idea that everybody can actually access it. I like this idea that this is, this is not limiting people in general. Um, obviously yeah, I would hope that, that people who are homeless and people who really need those funds, um, access, have access to them. And I worry that in regards to something like universal eight, basic income, there will be some like exactly what you mentioned, like this idea of, no, you know, you have to work to get this, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. and that's my worry is like the, the, the repeat of what's happening in like Alberta income supports of like this, this shame that happens towards that. Right.
1: Yeah, and I think like if it's universal and there's not conditions attached to it, you would avoid that. Um, and that's mm-hmm. what they found when they did the, the the pilot program in Manitoba is that it wasn't stigmatized. Like having that wasn't stigmatized because everybody got it. Yeah. Right. So the stigma kind of is removed in that in that respect. Um, but there's also like been okay. I found this really interesting paper about. Um, this program that was running in Australia for 40 years, uh, but has recently been axed, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and it was, Oh, I'm going to have to try to find the name, but it was something like the community development economic program or something like that. Anyway, it it ran in Australia for a long time and it was super successful. And basically what it was was it was a program for, um, like it wasn't intended fully as like a universal basic income program, but that's kind of how it ended up being used. Um, but it but it partnered uh, with different indigenous communities to provide like both funding for individual people to survive, you know, like like right. a basic income, but also um, community development. So, you know, there would be money for things that the community decided were important, and they found like you know some some communities developed like a little bit of a tourism industry and some Mm -hmm. like really Mm -hmm. focused on art and the creation of art and some, you know, were able to like expand some of their traditional practices through having access to a little more income. So like hunting became easier when they had like vehicles and stuff like that. So, and it was just like amazing. The success of it was so evident. Um, and like, yeah, it, it enabled people who wanted to focus on things like traditional ceremony and stuff like that to still be able to do that in their community and not have to try to think about getting a job especially when a lot of these places were extremely remote yeah and there's totally. basically no labor market to speak of. yep so yep. like yep. the idea that okay please leave your ancestral lands to which you have very strong spiritual cultural ties go to a city and find a job when especially in some of these like remote areas in Australia like English language levels were pretty low and stuff mm-hmm. like that they were like no like that's setting us up to fail we would not do that. Right. So this, instead this um, CDEP program, like enabled communities to really like survive and thrive um, in a way that hadn't been precedented before. So, and part of it was like, it, it essentially like, provided like some basic income to people with the understanding that they had to work to survive in this environment, whether that was hunting, whether that was un, you know, the unpaid work of women in, in homes, whether that was, um, you know, ceremony and caring for elders, like all that was still work, you know? So it was, it right. was sort of like a valuing of work in a different way. Um, also yeah. shout out to Kala cause we talked about this and huh. Kala is probably our furthest and most international listener. Um, <laughs> so shout out to you in Australia, buddy.
0: Yeah. yeah, we miss you. Enjoy winter. <laughs> yeah, winter. It's I not even it. cool. I saw pictures. So I have families that live in Australia, this is a tangent. But this is my family that live in Australia and I saw their winter pictures and I was like, your grass is green. What the fuck?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not really it's not really winter. It's uh it's it's lovely there. But yeah, like just thinking about like why why can't we have something like that? That seems amazing. And mm-hmm. honestly, like it, it ties so many things together. Like I was just Looking at this the other day, the First Nations Health Authority in BC talks about some of the determinants of health for Indigenous communities are tied to their own self governance. Yeah. You know, so like the higher degree of self governance and choices that they can make about their own communities, the better their health outcomes are. So, why wouldn't we do that? (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's just things like that. I'm like, okay, why can't we? Yeah. Why can't we be better at this?
0: So, I am also like I reading this article from the National Geographic, and it talked about um, what's going on in Alaska. And this is been going on for ages. Um, that they have, as I sort of talked about Alaska, and I was thinking about these northern communities, especially here in North America. Um, they have something called a permanent fund dividend, uh, which is when the state gives everybody, man, woman, child, free money every month. Not every month, once a month. Once one month a year. Oh, there it is. Um, so in, in 2012, they gave out $1,600, uh, 2015 they gave out $2,000 this year, the 2020 PFD, um, which cause of COVID and stuff like that, they're only giving out $900, $992, but there's no real, like, you know, like you need to work to get this and stuff like that, or whatever it is. You just get it, and that's it. Once a year, you just get some free money, and there's no real like strings attached to it. Um, I think that's amazing. <laughs> like, I know that's like that's not really you know like you don't you can't live off nine hundred dollars a year, um, but it's something. <laughs> it's something, um, <clears throat> and it's and it's one of like the few long living ideas of like some sort of universal income uh, that people get. Uh, So even in the U S it's happening. And I think that it's interesting. It's happening in Alaska because you're right. This is one of a Northern community. And um, I wonder if that's a lot tied to that. And I I haven't really read much research into it. I just saw it and I'm just like, that's really interesting. That's, that's happening. So Mm -hmm. um,
1: yeah. And like, I don't know, it ties to um, one of the articles that I had read was, it's very recent one. And it was about like, what, what could a plan for universal basic income for Alberta look like? Mm -hmm. And the um, authors were saying like, ooh, like, you know, a standalone, um, you know, universal basic income scheme is too politically risky for our province. Uh, Therefore, having something that's more like, Um, really like hard adjusting how our tax returns work could actually work out better. And I was like, interesting. But the more I read, the more I was just like, I really hate, that this wouldn't really operate like a universal basic income in the fact that really it would it would be like a bulk sum in your tax return right right like it would still be providing more to families especially those in in deepest poverty which i think is really important it could almost double the amount that they receive but when you consider that the amount that they receive is still not enough to live almost doubling that you're like great but like if you also if you're giving someone an economic precarity like you know here is like 10 grand on your tax return like that's a little bit scary. Like, you know, like a huge amount for someone to have to manage in that time and like, like figure out how to save it and stuff. Like, I don't know. It's and how to like ration it. It's like pretty insane. I don't know to think of it. Like as we could just operate it through our taxes. I'm like, I don't know if you could or if it would work as well. Yeah. Um, Plus it's relying on the the existing income support system. That's exactly it. That (laughs) it would be like, well, we could keep using our existing income support system and just give people back more on their taxes. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Like I, I can see that you're, you're trying for something here, and I think that's important, but I'm also like, is this really going far enough, and is this going to address people's anxieties all year long? political will is always our like main yep. stumbling block i totally. fucking need that i totally. i'm just so sad that yeah we can't care enough about other humans to think that you know someone deserves to be able to buy a fucking winter coat I right know. like that they deserve to be able to not go hungry or not be homeless like we live in a world where those things don't need to exist why do we insist that they are and it comes to when people are like well we can't afford this this is unaffordable i'm like anything is affordable. It's just, what are our priorities? So what you're really telling me is it's not a priority if you say it's not affordable. And that's exactly the response that a lot of like, you know, more conservative and neoliberal governments will give when it comes to something like universal basic income, they'll be like, well, it's unaffordable. Okay. It would be affordable if you didn't give out tax breaks to all these fucking oil companies in Alberta, it would be affordable if, you know, especially in the U S if they, if they diverted like even 10 fucking percent of the amount that they spend on defense,
0: Oh yeah, their they can afford budget. so they much. Could, they could, they could afford universal health care. They could afford a UBI, no problem. Any, no problem. Like
1: literally, the sky's the fucking limit because mm-hmm. you're spending like fucking trillions on your defense for what? Yeah. Like, it's it's wild. Like if that's the priority, like I don't understand. You know, like why are our priorities? And it really just comes down to values, I think. And like, that's the saddest thing to me is that we are we've been having like i said before this conversation about who are deserving and who is not deserving for like hundreds of years yeah. and like the fact that people were having these conversations back in like the 1600s in england when they first started like instigating um, instituting like poor laws and they were like well it's only for the deserving poor i was like fuck yeah, sake exactly, how have we right? been doing this for so long like why do we still think that some people do not deserve to just live like to be able to live, why do we think that that's wild to me, yeah, I don't
0: know, yeah, Sorry. no, I agree, I, I totally agree, I totally 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 agree, yeah, um so yeah, if you have more thoughts about universal basic income or just capitalism in general, um, please join us on our next Gen men uh, circle that's coming up uh with masculinity and capitalism. Uh, do we have dates for that yet, veronica? I believe it
1: will be August twentieth, but it uh, depends uh let's let's see how our folks feel who are planning it because it is a big topic yeah. and we want sure to do it justice so you yeah. might push it back a week but yeah it'll be sometime around the end of august yeah so keep and an we'll, eye on our social media
0: we'll definitely do it i think it'll be a really cool conversation and if it like <laughs> it's one of those things where like this is all brand new to us if it sucks we'll or rebirth tell us what tell us what sucked about it and we'll try it again um we're also, what are the, we're doing one, did we do it already? I don't remember if we did one on menstruation. Um, that's
1: coming up on that's coming up. the 10th. Yeah. The 10th okay. of August.
0: Yeah. So join us for that one too. That would be really cool. Um, yeah. That'd be really interesting to to learn a little bit more about that. Um, especially it's kind of a, a taboo topic for guys. <laughs> yeah. so, it'd be great to like, to actually like learning all about that. Uh, yeah. Do you have any final thoughts about universal basic income before we, uh, Uh, call this call this cultics to a close
1: yeah i mean you can learn more there's like uh, canada basic income network i think it's called and like there's an Alberta basic income as well and there's even a report i'll send you the link herman so we can Mm -hmm. it in the show notes there's a report by the parkland institute i think about uh universal basic income so um you know how it could apply to alberta and i think that it's awesome like Honestly, I think it it's something we should seriously think about um, as a buffer against the you know worst effects of capitalism and a buffer Absolutely. against like the changing world that we're living in with automation, like you said, and, and things like that. So really interesting thing to think about. Uh, there's a lot of movement now around it, a lot more advocacy around it so people can add their voices to like, you know, the the efforts of the, the Canada basic income network and stuff like that, um, and I want to tell people, too, this fun fact that I learned that uh, the Social Credit Party under William Aberhart uh, was elected in the province of Alberta in 1935, and he was one of the first people to suggest a universal basic income so it's not an anti-Alberta idea. It's something that's been around for a long time. He oh, suggested yeah. because you know, in the midst of the depression, like they needed something, right? He suggested a UBI of twenty-five dollars a month for all citizens. But of course, it did not happen because yeah. the federal government was opposed to it, and people were saying it was too expensive. Blah blah blah. Blah,
0: blah. blah 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 It
1: was it was something that he was saying would be like you know a huge remedy to the depression. Um, you know the fact that you could tell people pull yourselves up by your bootstraps but there were no fucking jobs for them to get so yeah um, and
0: that's that the thing I think a lot of times kind of- when university basic income conversation happens during like an economic downturn right like we're having this conversation in the US because of the, the economy being such like terrible for a lot of people um, and we're probably going to have it in Canada as well too and like COVID has we've ignited that conversation as well like it obviously these are not like something that Um, we can say it doesn't happen this way. Uh, and it's interesting to me. Um, no, sorry. The one thing I wanted to say, the last thing I wanted to say is that if once you read these articles, once you listen to us and and you're like, yeah, I'm totally for this. This is such a great idea. Make it happen. Please go bug your politicians. Please go bug. Like if you're in Alberta, go bug the NDP about this. And, and and I'm telling and I'm and if you are an NDP person that you are listening to this, please make a goddamn policy about it and put it out there. Like, like the like I am. Honestly, this is going to be a political rant, but I am honestly tired of of progressives just being kind of anti-conservative. Put just put a goddamn policy out, so we can so people can actually rejoice and and actually like unite and solidify into that policy. Um, especially something like universal basic income if you're a federal like jagmeet i know you're listening to this Jagmeet, i know you're listening to this <laughs> uh, please put a policy about universal basic income um this would be fantastic i guarantee you people would love this like you put out of something about a wealth tax people love that shit. um put I, I would love to see a really robust like something that the Parkland institute institute like like put a robust amazing policy out about universal basic basic income especially during these times especially during a time of economic downturn especially during a time where people are losing their jobs right now like people are going homeless like this is a perfect time to do it so this is my like plea plead as a political will don't be so goddamn anti-conservative actually be pro-progressive put a goddamn policy out that's all i got to (laughs) say
1: Um, just want to let people know that we still accept registrants for Next Gen Men Summer Camp for male-identified youth ages 11 to 15 because, yeah, we're accepting registrants all summer. Obviously, it's kind of like the halfway point now of summer, um, but that means that, like, it's cheaper now, so <laughs> you can get a discount. Totally. Um, so, yeah, people, check it out, uh, nextgenmen.ca slash camp. Um, it's been awesome. The, the boys are hilarious. I love the, like... Like how do you even play jokes on people? Um, you know when you're not even physically together, but they still manage they do to do it. hilarious things. Yeah, like when they were playing code names um, with Jonathan, he stepped away from the computer for a moment, and when he came back, they had all changed their name to Jonathan. <laughs> that thing, I thought it was great. It's Like I love it. I love that they're Good. they're they're still able all to like energies. have fun together. And yeah, we've been you know playing um, games. We, they have created a beautiful Minecraft realm together. Um, you know, learning some of the the rules about, I guess, like what kind of a society they want to create together, which is a really neat experiment um, when you think about it. So it's been, yeah, it's been really neat. They're doing yoga. They're doing art. They're, um, they're, spending time with Jonathan to go through some of the questions from our card deck, from our mm-hmm. cards for masculinity, and uh, we're working on something cool, which we'll release in the fall. So, lots going on. Um, if you know a boy that could benefit, pass along to that boy that has along to his parents. Um, yeah, nextgenmen.ca slash camp.
0: Nice. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's really all I have to plug as well, too, um, <laughs> is Next and stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, thanks so much for, for listening in. Thanks so much for Being on Cold Takes again, Veronica. uh, I hope, wish you good luck on your courses and uh, hope you don't die of heat. Uh, Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time on Mar Manhood Cold Takes.